Hello, welcome to the Find Your Calm podcast. I'm Noelle C. Guevara, a pastor, educator, and writer learning to navigate faith and family and being a person in this chaotic life. Here in season two, we're doing a deep dive into some of the ways that life can be anxiety-inducing and what it looks like to find your calm in the midst of it all. And today, we'll be focusing in on a season in my life that was saturated with anxiety, both in our home and in our marriage. Sometimes in life, your marriage is the calm in the story, and sometimes it's the storm. Here's the truth. I don't know how to avoid chaos or how to prevent the anxiety that chaos inevitably causes, but I have had more than a little practice in finding my calm when life beckons anxiety instead. If you're looking for space to take a deep breath, steady yourself, and discern what you need to move forward, you're right where you belong. Listen in for a few simple tips to find your calm and take your next faithful steps forward. I remember the first time I laid eyes on my husband. He was two rows ahead of me in church, and I remember thinking that he was cute, but unfortunately, too young for me. We were nine and 11, separated by a whole entire grade. By the time we were in middle school, that grade didn't matter, apparently, and Matt asked me out at summer camp. There's a dramatic breakup a year later, a long season where we weren't allowed to speak to each other, although we were allowed to fight with each other, so we did. And my junior year of high school, I asked him to be my date to my school's homecoming dance, and the rest is history. We have the best story, an evangelical fairy tale. We went to Bible college together, went into ministry together, had four beautiful children together. Matt was the executive director of a parachurch organization, and I was the children's pastor at our church. A friend joked with us about being a ministry power couple, and I lived into that image even when I had a sneaking suspicion it was more illusion than reality. I'd only been on staff at my church for a few months when I set off on a team retreat and Matt set off on his own work trip. I'll never forget the text I got early one morning, Matt asking if I had time to talk. When I answered the phone, he told me some half-truths, and I got enough of the story to know our story wouldn't be the same. He lost his job. I lost my bearings. We almost lost each other. I don't know if this is a female thing or an evangelical thing, but as a wife, I was more or less taught to fear my husband having an affair. Not only that, but I was taught that oftentimes men have affairs because their wife wasn't fill-in-the-blank enough, attentive enough, supportive enough, attractive enough, available enough, and so on. This was the thing, but also the only thing I perceived as a threat to our happily ever after. I didn't even know to look for other cracks in the foundation of our marriage. So those cracks just spread and grew, and we didn't know how to stop them. There was a point in which I knew in my gut that something was off between us. And having been trained to worry about affairs, that was the only rabbit trail I knew to chase, the only questions I knew to ask. And when Matt would honestly and effectively answer those questions, I was left looking and feeling paranoid, stupid even. It turns out that there are a lot of ways to cultivate betrayal and harm the people we love. Woven into Matt's story are threads of abuse and trauma that he learned to keep buried deep beneath the surface. But those things have a way of coming out sideways eventually. And they did come out sideways, leaving a swath of collateral damage for us to work through. But this isn't a story of how my husband failed or even how he hurt me. 
It's the story of how we took broken trust and rebuilt it so that it didn't lead to a broken marriage. Several months after that phone call, after Matt lost his job and the career we had sacrificed for him to build, after we hit bottom and realized we didn't have the tools to climb back up, we made an appointment and we showed up to our first marriage counseling session. We hadn't done any marriage counseling since we graduated from premarital counseling almost two decades earlier. Looking back on those premarital sessions, I realized we could have avoided a whole lot of hurt and harm if we had been given some basic tools. I remember we took this assessment and it accurately identified communication and conflict resolution as weak points in our relationship. And instead of pitching a 10 by those red flags, the pastor told us they would resolve themselves. We were Christians. Our parents were wonderful and still married. So somehow we'd just figure it out, how to have these hard conversations. We did not, in fact, figure it out. Instead, we avoided them. We never fought. We rarely experienced conflict, and we were so proud of how well we got along until we got to a conflict that we couldn't ignore, push down, or avoid. And now, here we were, without practice, without skills and tools, hoping this marriage therapist could help us save our marriage. He had his work cut out for him, you guys, I am not going to lie. But Matt and I were both really committed to working hard. It was very, very hard in the beginning. It was rough. And it was a couple of years before we truly felt hopeful, but we got there together. This summer, we celebrated 20 years of marriage, and we both recognized the miracle of God doing his best work to get us there. I can't give you advice on how to fix or cultivate your particular marriage or relationship, but I can share some really important truths that we learned in rebuilding our own relationship. So whether you're feeling stuck in your marriage or you're a couple in full-blown crisis or you're just at a point where you recognize you need some tools you don't have, here's a few faithful steps forward to weathering storms in your relationship. Step number one, trust is built over time. One thing that Matt got stuck on in the beginning was this idea that his mistakes were behind him. He was back on the right path and he was frustrated that I just didn't and honestly couldn't trust him. There are lots of reasons why a relationship faces a bankruptcy of trust, but I'll share a couple of them. The first is that one or both individuals may come into the relationship with trust issues. We often have an innocent until proven guilty perspective on trust when we enter a relationship. With this approach, we feel entitled to another person's trust unless we do something to break that trust. But the truth is that people enter relationships with open accounts. Their account may have reserves based on healthy relationships in the past, or their account may be overdrawn based on broken relationships in the past. Now, looking back, I can see that in some ways, Matt struggled to trust me, even though I did nothing to break his trust and everything to earn it. But because neither of us really understood how bankrupt he was of relationships and experiences that were trust building, we were unaware of the impact that distrust played into our relationship. The more obvious reason a relationship faces a bankruptcy of trust is that one or both persons actively breaks trust. In our case, Matt had a pattern of deceit that continued until he got caught. Once someone breaks trust, they have to rebuild it. Behaviors can change, amends can be made, forgiveness can be extended, but it takes time and slow, hard work to rebuild trust. I take a class at the gym sometimes called Body Pump. 
It's a weightlifting class that combines lower weights with lots of reps. And the instructor will often talk about time under tension when we're in the middle of this long and painful set. The movements are small. The tension builds by repeating a movement for what feels like a very long time. And that builds muscle. So it takes both things. It takes time and tension to build muscle. And it takes both things, time and tension, in the sense of hard and painful work, to build trust. If you're working to earn trust, hunker down and do the work. Don't give up. Trust can be built or rebuilt over time. If you're working to extend trust, hunker down and trust the process. Don't give up as long as your partner is doing the work. Trust can be built or rebuilt over time, which leads to another step. Step two, it takes both of you to do the work. This might feel unfair if you were not the one who train wrecked the relationship or broke trust. This might feel really unfair if the problem in the relationship is outside the relationship entirely. If your partner struggles with trust because of ways they were hurt in the past, you might feel like it's not your job to put in work to fix somebody else's mistake. But being an innocent party doesn't absolve you of the work. I wish it did. I wish there was a solution where broken relationships could be fixed by the person who harmed that relationship or somebody in the relationship. But if you're the victim, quote unquote, here, you're going to need to roll up your sleeves and commit to doing the work that's needed. If you're the one who broke trust, this is going to be really hard for you. And you're likely going to have moments when you feel you're being unfairly punished. It's going to feel at times like you'll be wearing the weight of shame forever. But if you want to rebuild trust, then you'll need to lead the way in this work. Time over tension, you'll need to prove that you're committed. And then you'll need to prove it again and again and again until your partner feels ready to trust you again. And if you're both doing the work, then they will. This is the hard and holy step, the long journey in the right direction. In spiritual terms, this is the work of sanctification where the Holy Spirit remakes each of you separately and in the end, both of you together. I wish I had a hack or a shortcut or even a tip to make it less painful, but the truth is that the harder it is, the greater the payoff on the other side. There were many points during this process that I felt hopeless or angry or scared. I remember a friend asking me if I had a line that once crossed would mark the end of the road. What was the thing that I couldn't forgive that would mark an end to the work instead of a hurdle to move past? And what I learned in that season was that you don't know until you get there. If someone had told me what we would walk through, I think I would have called it quits before we started. I didn't have the tools, the resilience, or the drive until I needed it. The gift of that season was that God walked with me and he apportioned whatever I needed when I needed it. It was a messy, rocky and tumultuous season. Nothing was pretty and nothing felt holy, but with a lot of hurt and healing in my rearview mirror, I can see God in it, present through it all. I took one faithful step at a time and those steps became a journey towards a healed and still healing marriage. And finally, step three, the last tool is really the first you should reach for, and that's a really good marriage therapist. Some people have to try out a few before they find the right one. I had a great referral, and so we got lucky in that sense and landed in the office of a fantastic marriage therapist. We drove an hour and a half twice a month to see him. Those sessions were brutal in the beginning. It felt to me like we'd spend weeks undoing patterns that we'd spent years creating. 
the reason a marriage therapist is essential if you're weathering a marriage crisis is because we can't be impartial within the relationship. And if there's hurt or fear, if there's patterns you didn't see or deficits you didn't recognize, neither one of you is just going to be able to step outside and get the bird's eye view you needed to truly get to the heart of the issues. It's possible that the two of you can piece together enough healing to move forward or at least stay together. But I'm confident that if you find yourself in a crisis, you won't magically find the tools to build a healthier, stronger relationship. It's more likely that what was broken will grow back stronger, but just as broken and maybe even more so. Let me explain. So my son recently broke his ring finger at school. Warning if you're squeamish, this is going to get a little intense, but there's an important point to be made. So when I arrived at the school and surveyed the damage, I could see why the nurse knew it was broken. Instead of being straight and parallel to the fingers next to it, it was bent at a disturbing and unnatural angle. Very gross. And since we obviously didn't want the finger healing at that angle, I knew they'd have to reset his finger, either outpatient or in surgery. The medical team that treated him was so kind and they were able to numb his finger completely before resetting it right there in the office. So they kept taking x-rays to check the progress, and then they go back to work, making sure the bones were where they needed to be to grow back correctly. He had a growth plate involved, so they were extra careful to get it right. It was bizarre to watch them bend and pull my son's finger back into place. It caused a lot of pain and swelling later once the numbness were off. But while broken bones can heal on their own, it takes a skilled professional, high-tech equipment, and a precise view of the progress to make sure those broken bones heal correctly. What good is a healed bone that isn't where it needs to be and can't function in the way you need it to? The same is true with healing what's broken in your relationship. If there's broken trust, and especially if there's a betrayal, you'll need a skilled professional with the right tools and view to help you walk the road to a well-healed relationship. One other note about my son and his broken finger. Even after they reset the bone, they put his whole hand, wrist, and forearm into a cast. It was not necessary for the bone to heal, but it was necessary for the bone to stay safe. Nine-year-old boys, as you can imagine, aren't prone to being careful with their appendages, and a cast was an extra measure of protection that ensured we wouldn't end up right back in that office, back at square one. And the same is going to be true for your relationship. It will be easy to go back to old patterns, to expose your marriage to the same injury, that landed you in this crisis. We often are not prone to being careful with our relationships and your therapist can help you determine what extra measures of protection will ensure you won't end up right back where you started. When Matt and I got married, we made vows to each other, right? We all do that. When we get married, we make vows to love each other for better or for worse, but we hope for the better and we rarely plan for the worst. If you find yourself weathering a marriage crisis, you have some decisions to make. How are you going to get through this? Are you even going to try? What next faithful step will take you forward? I don't know when or where you'll find yourself on the other side of the storm, but I do know that if you want to weather this crisis together, it's possible to rebuild trust, to do the hard work and see healing on the other side. These things are all the more possible if you and your partner commit to doing the work together and if you invite a qualified marriage therapist into the process. Matt and I have a very different relationship today than we did 20 years ago when we were first married, or even five years ago when everything fell apart. Some things are harder now because there's an ease to ignoring what isn't working, what's hard, what's broken. 
but that ease is a false security and I wouldn't go back to it even if I could. Many things are more real and beautiful now because we've fought for the relationship that we have. I can say for me that I'm more fully myself in our marriage than I ever have been. This long, hard road of rebuilding trust and repairing damage has led me to find my voice, to trust my discernment, and to discover my gifts and interests. I would not and could not have done this podcast five years ago or pursued any number of opportunities at work or out in the world that I now really enjoy. Our marriage was saved through this storm, but in a way, I was saved too. That would have been true, I think, no matter where we landed in our relationship. If the two of us hadn't been able to weather this storm together, it would have still been worth the effort, if only to find myself in the midst of it all. Today, I'm going to close with a practice, inviting you to reflect on your marriage, whether it's in crisis or facing a storm, or perhaps you've just noticed brokenness within the relationship that you long to be healed. And honestly, as long as both people within a marriage are broken humans, spoiler alert, we all are, there is always healing work to be done. Think back on recent days, almost as an outside observer, casually sifting through memories of interactions with your partner in the last week or so. Perhaps you spend a lot of time together and so you have several conversations or interactions come to mind. Or perhaps your ship's passing in the night, quickly sharing information or hasty greetings. Keep going until you come across an interaction that activates difficult or painful emotions. Let yourself remember the interaction from beginning to end. And as you do that, what emotions do you notice? Anger? Disappointment? Fear? Resentment? Hurt? Name the emotions as they arise. Once you work your way through the interaction and let it pass, follow yourself in your memory, reflecting on how you felt afterwards. Name those emotions too. you to imagine you could go back to the beginning and script it so that it would go differently. If that interaction went exactly the way you wanted, what would happen? Play through it in your imagination step by step, naming what you want and what you need from your partner. As you hold on to the memory, as well as your imagined perfect version, answer this question for yourself. Could you share the way you felt during that interaction as well as what you needed or wanted from that interaction with your partner? If that feels doable, I'd encourage you to give it a try. Start there. Let that conversation be your next faithful step forward and see where it leads. If that does not feel doable, if you don't feel like you have the tools to initiate that conversation, or if you're not sure that your relationship has the tools to work through the conversation, then I'm going to give you two options for a next faithful step forward. Option one, talk to your partner about the deficit you recognize. Name that you don't feel like you have the tools to work through hard and needed conversation. 
Put that problem in the middle, outside of you. Decide together what your next step might be. Or another option is to make an appointment with the therapist. It usually helps to start with yourself. Begin with your own work and your therapist will help you determine how to move into the work that you and your partner will need to do together. If you already have a therapist, then just bring this up with them and see where it leads. I hope this practice of reflecting on your marriage has been life-giving for you. And I encourage you to continue this sort of mindfulness as you interact with your partner in the days ahead. It can be a simple next faithful step forward in weathering a marriage crisis or just weathering life as a married couple. Thank you for joining us today for season two, episode four of the Find Your Calm podcast. I hope you were able to unburden yourself to get your bearings, find your focus, and begin to enjoy or at least truly experience that life that's within and around you. Life is chaotic. We know this to be true. But even in the midst of chaos, you can find your calm and take your next faithful steps forward. As always, you can connect with me on Instagram as Noelle C. Guevara. I would also love it if you would like or share or review the podcast. It's had about a thousand downloads at this point, which is so fun, but it's still a little baby project and I'd love to get it out into the world. So if you found this episode or the podcast to be helpful and could give it a boost in one of those ways, I'd really appreciate it. Next episode, really excited about, I'm inviting Matt and his friend Todd. They together do a podcast called The Recovery Guys. And they're going to talk to you about their perspective on this journey. So make sure you tune in for the next episode with the recovery guys talking about what it looks like to navigate recovery. Until next time, I'm Noelle C. Guevara, and I'm so grateful to be your host and guide as we navigate the chaos of life together.